Hello, and welcome back to the TFA Scouted Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and in this podcast, we take a look at players and coaches that we believe have very bright futures in the game. In the last episode, we looked at Callum Doyle, the teenage central defender who has just had a superb season with Coventry City in the Championship and almost helped the Sky Blues to the promised land of the Premier League on loan from Premier League champions Manchester City. Although Mark Robinside did eventually lose to Luton Town on penalties in dramatically cruel fashion. Today, though, we will be looking at another young player who was out on loan this season, but will return to their Premier League parent this summer. And that player is Brentford's Mads Bistrup. The Danish deep-lying playmaker has spent the season with FC Nordsjælland in his native country, Denmark, a side owned by the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana and a club that has become renowned for player development in recent years. There are very few places for a player to develop that are better than Nordjylland, and Biltrup has grown from strength to strength during his brief spell at the club and may even be in Thomas Frank's plans at Brentford next season. In this podcast, we look at Bidtrup's style of play, strengths and weaknesses while also trying to predict his potential and whether or not he has a part to play for the Bees going forward. And if not, where the next route is for the 22-year-old. To do so, I'll be joined by my co-host and TFA recruitment analyst, Brian Marquez, who has watched Bidstrup very closely over the past few months, as have I, of course. Before we begin, though, Please make sure to rate the podcast, five stars, hopefully. It's greatly appreciated and it helps us to grow the podcast and to get more and more excellent guests on and to get more and more ears on the podcast too. So now, without further ado, let's get into our analysis of the talented midfielder by speaking to Brian. Brian, welcome back to the TFA Scouted Podcast. How have you been? Hello, Adam. I've been really, really well, really excited about this New episode, a really interesting player. And again, we are at Scandinavia. <laughs> we are in Scandinavia. It's such a hotbed of talent. I mean, we we kind of we do try and make it as versatile as possible, but there are so many incredibly hidden or incredible hidden gems in places such as like South America, especially Argentina. And we've gone. I mean, we've looked at Venezuela, Wonder Kid, David Martinez, and then we uh, Martinez, and then we looked at. Oscar Cortez, Maxima Peroni, but I think was it before he yeah. moved to City or just as he moved to City? So we he, he he moved to City and then yeah, yeah, and we had like Gastin Avila, obviously who was in Belgium when we recorded it, but he had came from Argentina as well. But then we looked at a lot of Scandinavian players, uh, Hussein Carneal and Hugo Larsson and and all these players. So it's, uh, um, yeah, so it's 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 such a these these regions are so filled with unknown talents that are incredibly impressive and that we want to, you know, talk about because we believe they're going to make the next step up to the elite level. And when we say elite, obviously we kind of have hidden or we have biases because we obviously mean the top five leagues as a reference because ultimately as much as we want to, as much as we would prefer a more globally widespread, more globally widespread kind of, football the top five leagues kind of monopolize a lot of talents and especially the premier league unfortunately whether you you want to or whether you like that or not i don't think it's a great thing for the game but it does the premier league massively monopolizes a lot of young talents you know they they buy them and they loan them out again and but so obviously that's why we're in denmark now talking about mad bidstrup who is on loan from a premier league club of course brentford but next week, though, stay tuned for next week because we're going to talk about a player 
who's highly rated from Africa, and I believe it's our first. Unless I'm yeah. forgetting someone. I, I think it's our first as well. Yeah, I think I it's really our first. Think... Yeah. So we're gonna talk about that player. I'll 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 leave that on next week. You'll you'll see. But anyway, this podcast is about Matt Bidstrup. Bryant he made his debut for Brentford when they were in the championship. I believe his debut was in 2020, 21 season. I think it was that season. They were in the championship. It was the season they got promoted to the Premier League. And he played a couple of games in the Premier League. He played, I think it was eight games last season for Brentford in the Premier League. And most of them were substitute appearances. I'm not sure if he made any starts. I believe, well, if he did, maybe it was just one. The majority, anyway, were substitute appearances. But then he was loaned out to... Northland at the I think it was January last season he was loaned to Northland and then he got loaned back to Northland for this season. So he's had a full season at Northland and then a half season last season. So what about, about, about practically eighteen months? The Danish Super League is coming towards an, the end now. I think actually when this comes out, it's over. The last game week is this Sunday or this Saturday or Sunday, I believe. So the Danish Super League will be over. I would imagine Copenhagen are champions by then, but. Northland are always a really exciting team to watch in Denmark because of their ability to produce these incredibly talented players. Uh, you know, like you see the Mohamed Kudushes of the world and the Andreas Scheldrups. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Ernst Neumann now, who we've covered before on the podcast when we were looking at top five players and coaches of 2023 to look out for. Ernst Neumann was on that list. Lee Scott actually, I believe, wrote about him for the the, the 23 for 23 uh magazine we did at the start of the year but obviously one of the most exciting players in the Danish Super League for me anyway this season has been Mad Bidstrup who's played the vast majority of games for Nordschland in the Danish Super League he's played 32 games overall for the side talk to me Brian about what made him stand out the most for you because as always you come to me with these players so I know you have thoroughly enjoyed watching them so that's why we record the podcast on them so talk to me about why or what stood out from Bidstrup's game that made you think he's a really, really top player? Yeah, you know, the, 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 there are several things that stand out for me for, for Bidstrup. Um, the first of all of them is obviously his high-quality technique um, to make passes and to receive the ball. He's a midfielder with a really high range of passes and he demonstrates to be a very progressive player, you know? He links with teammates between the lines, into space or just connecting with these players in the wide channels, moving the ball to one side into another. And he he has a really vast uh, repertoire of resources in his executions, you know, and he can surprise you with several type of deliveries when he wants to to progress and to contribute to build-ups in a really good way. And he's able to play on the ground with long passes, diagonals, or one-touch deliveries as well. So that's the type of quality Bitstrup can can show in that in that way, in the way of um, just contributing to the build-up in different heights of the of the field, and you know other type of things that really surprised me how is how smart he is to scan. Mm-hmm. To, you know, to receive the ball and just be aware of what he has around and 
what options are the best to then make the passes or make the decisions to go there. And that massively helps him to receive under pressure as well, doesn't it? Because you see when Northland are building out from the back and a player jumps him from behind. His body position is usually excellent, but the fact that he scans so much, he can quickly lay the yeah. ball off because he knows where the next pass should be. Or he can he's also excellent at taking it on the turn as well, on the half turn and maybe going forward if he feels there's enough space for him to do that because he's really good in those little tight, very tight spaces just before the player jumps receive and, and receive on the turn and then go past them because he's a good dribbler too, which we'll get onto in a bit. But yeah, that scanning does help him to receive under pressure. I, I don't like labeling players as press resistant at the, unless they're at the absolute top level. So your, your Tony Cross is at, at Real Madrid, of course, is probably the best example of, a, of, in my opinion, unless I'm forgetting someone, arguably the be- the most press resistant player of, the- oh, Sergio Busquets, probably, yeah, Sergio yeah. Busquets, probably Maybe a better option. Yeah. So those two, anyway, whether you want to debate who was better, but in terms of press resistance, you think of those two players, but I think of that at the very top level. I think there are, there are mistakes in, in players if you're not at that level, especially when you're a young player, but he is really good under pressure. Yeah, he's really, really good under pressure, you know, and the way he's very agile to, you know, turn his hip and then mm-hmm. evade the press and evade opponents in that way, it's really good to, you have to, if you're a midfielder with that such type of quality and your technique, this kind of turns and ability to twist the defender is really good because you're normally playing with your back to go mm-hmm. you know and you have to make your team progress and those kind of um we have talked about this in the podcast in the podcast like players with these individual capacities are very good because you can rely on them to progress and to break um rivals block with just a turn and i've really liked him under pressure you obviously you label a player as press resistant you are used to see players like Tony Cross or Sergio Busquets which mm-hmm. their quality is really amazing but he, he knows how, how to to play with the press close to him and he's very dynamic of the ball as well you know he possesses smart positioning to try to offer passing lanes to, to players to, to his teammates and well, he off camera we were talking about he can play as a six and as an eight, and I watch him. I have watched him in in, in the two roles, and as a six, he demonstrates to be uh, really, really like he he detects how to be how to play in that position as a long six or in a double pivot. Well, like I labeled him. I labeled him in the introduction as a bit of a deep lying playmaker because yeah, when he when he does play as the six. Like that. The ability to switch that ball from side to side is so underrated because in any team, you need that player, especially if you're going to play with the ball and that's what you want to, that's the emphasis of your your game model is to have the ball and to break down the opposition's block, for example. Teams are going to sit back, they're going to be compact and they're going to shift from side to side. So when that ball's on one side, you can have a player like Bidstrup who can receive the ball and then quickly switch it out to the other because what happens then is the team have to shift across or you can get the opposite, the, the the winger on the far side or the the high fullback, wherever the, the position of those players are. You can get them in 1v1 duels against the opposition's fullback 
Or what can happen is if he gets the ball and he quickly switches out to the other, by the time the opposition defensive block shifts across, back across to the other side, there will be holes that have opened up in that block that you can then play through. Yeah. So it's really underrated to have a player capable of doing that, of, of hit, consistently hitting those switches of play. And I think what stands out for me is the different techniques he uses to switch the play. Yeah, he has exactly. a wonderful ability to put just marvellous spin on the ball when he switches mm. it, especially when he's switching it out to the right because he can kind of hook his leg and, and bend it yeah. right around onto the on-rushing fullback or the wide wing or whoever's running him behind. So I think that ability to switch the play is a really... It's, re- it's a really solid attribute to his game and it's one of the most impressive for me anyway. But what's also impressive about his game and, and tying into your point about him being able to play as a six, I think yeah. for me... The most exciting part of his game, and I know I'm going to come across as a bit of a nerd here, but the most exciting part of his game isn't what he does on the ball for me. It's it's what he does off the ball. I know there have been comparisons in the past to Conrad Limer, who I believe has gone to Bayern Munich now. Now, in possession, no, I can't. I don't see that. I can kind of see it out of possession, though, especially when he plays as an eight of a tree. So uh, he usually plays in, as a right central midfielder in, in a tree, in a 4 tree, tree or at Brentford, a 5-3-2, a 3-5-2, whatever. His work off the ball is really impressive. Let's talk about that for a second, Bryant. Talk to me about, as a six, first of all, how yeah. good is he off the ball at, at covering space, marking players, you know, just generally in the defensive phase? Yeah, but off the ball, just before we can go into the defensive phase, I, I would, like, would like to say, like, he's very, very good in possession as well. When his team is in possession and yeah. he needs to to make um, things off the ball. He's really good as well and he's really mm-hmm. clever because he can, as a six, he moves from side to side in front of the central defenders and he can join their line and drop to the really to the base of the play. Um, one of the best things he does, even as a six or as an eight, when his team has the ball and he doesn't, is how he activates himself as a restarting option to the possession, you know, just to look to create this safe passing lane to a player. He can just take the ball and make those diagonal balls that you were talking about to change the side and dynamize a bit. And, you know, when we talk about his off-the-ball abilities, it's really good because Norgeland is a very aggressive team. Even when they're playing in a mid-block, they're very aggressive. And he fulfills this defensive role, especially when he's playing as an egg because he has the freedom to be very aggressive, to press, you know, um, even as a defensive midfielder in a midfield three or in a double pivot, he shows these abilities because as well, he, he shows uh, to be a really good ball winner. But it, one of the things that surprised me the most of the ball when he's defending is how intense he is, how energetic he is to go. He has um, a really, he has a wonderful engine on him. Yeah, he he has this powerful engine to just get into duels and get into duels every in every moment of the match. He's very, um, yeah, he he has this large stamina to be. In inside these duels, and I really like his. I don't know about you, but I I I like his technique to steal the ball. Yeah, 
you know, because when you are young and you you have to press high and you have to be aggressive and proactive to step off your line and play inside high blocks, normally your techniques to make the tackle or to steal the ball in other ways, like to clash with your body, it's mm -hmm. something you have to really work on it several times because it, it can be a difficult uh, thing to do. And maybe um, this time at Brentford, you know, but when you're developing at Brentford and you have these several sessions with Thomas Frank and how mm -hmm. aggressive they are to press at times, you just need to know how to time your body, how to time your tackles to to be really good when, when pressing because you can be aggressive and intense to press. But if you generate fouls and you are uh, a bit more um, aggressive, then you need to, you are obviously not a good player to press because you are not making the mm -hmm. the high press like you useful. Well, especially you know? in a team like Brentford, who would have, I think they've they've definitely averaged under fifty percent possession this year. I don't believe they've won a game. I think there's that stat that they've never won a game in the Premier League with more than fifty percent possession, which I think is fascinating. Now I could be wrong on that. Maybe it's won since then. Maybe it was broken recently, but I don't believe it was. It's really so that's a, a wonderful stat, but. What I do want to talk about briefly is his role with Brentford when he was there. So they'll play that 5-3-2. He usually played as the right central midfielder of that. And what they do is when they press, the right central midfielder will step out and press the fullback because the two center to the the two center forwards when it was Ivan Tony and Brian and Wimmel were pressing the central defenders of the opposition. And then instead of having the wing back step up to press the fullback, usually it was the right central midfielder or the left central midfielder would step over, would would, would push up and press the opposition's fullback then. So that requires a lot of energy. And Bistrup does have a lot of energy, as, as we, we referenced. He has an incredible engine on him. And as you said, he has a wonderful technique to win the ball. So when he steps up the press, it's really difficult to get by him, especially if you're a fullback trying to progress the ball, because he'll have cut off the angle inside and he'll either force you down the line or he'll just take it off you or, or put it out for a throw and et cetera. One thing I noticed as well was that he has a great knack of knowing when to jump in and steal the ball. So usually he'll stall, he'll stall. He'll get close to you, but he'll stall, stall, stall. As soon as he yeah. sees that you've taken a heavy touch, he's on you like a shot. He's on you straight away. He'll nip that ball then. And it happened a few times where there was a player running in front of him and he was behind them, chasing them. And the player will take a heavy touch, but then he'll step up his speed. So he'll accelerate even further and he'll just nip in front because he knows that you've taken the heavy touch and that's the right time for him to step in and then win the ball. Before we move on, Bryant, to kind of talking about more weaknesses, which is always a bit of a downer, but it's important to discuss. I want to throw some stats out there. This season with Norgeland in Denmark, he has registered 86 high regains alone, just him, which is which are ball recoveries basically in the opposition's half. So 86 alone. 21 dangerous recoveries, which are... Uh, a recovery, a ball recovery that leads to a shot within 20 seconds. So that means 21 of his ball recoveries have led to a shot within 20 seconds of winning it back. So if he wins the ball, basically a lot of those times, Northland will have had a transition then to try and score, which is obviously ideal. The most impressive stat by far is the fact that he's registered and there's still one game left, bear in mind, which takes place this weekend. So by the time this podcast comes out, this the data will be slightly slightly skewed, but not 
not too much. He's registered 101 counter-pressing recoveries. I think I think that is incredible for a player. There's some teams. That's incredible. Yeah. Some teams don't register that in a season. Yeah. 101 counter-pressing recoveries. Now, of course, that you know, you have to weigh into the fact that Nordland do counter-press, so it's you know more of a chance you know, he'll to have counter-pressing recoveries, but it just shows that when they lose the ball, his ability to 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 help to, detect, yeah. to win it back is unbelievable. He's so so astute in the defensive phase, and and that's where I said to you that I can see the similarities with Conrad Limer out of possession because he's just that engine, that counter-pressing engine that never stops running, that's so good defensively, that that's so good at re- ball recoveries, winning the ball back as soon as possible. So I've just been so, so impressed with that side of his game. And when I watched him, there's obviously, as we spoke about, the technical qualities of what he can do on the ball and how he can, yeah, to use the cliche, make the side tick at times and whether he can play as a six or an eight. But for me, what the, the best part was his defensive ability because it's, as you said, especially at a team like Brentford where that's going to be so, so important. I can really see him cracking into that Brentford team, but we'll get onto that in a bit. Let's, let's be, let, oh, sorry, you want to you make a point? Yeah, I, I want to make a, a last point in this one. If you watch his map of high regains, you know, it's really everywhere. He's really everywhere in, yeah. in the pitch. Like Left, middle, right. Left, middle, right, everywhere. And to, to counter-press in that way, you know, to have like 100 counter-pressing recoveries, yeah. you have to be very correct with your technique of tackles and timing of the tackles. And he does it really good and to, you know 100 and 101 was it 101 which is unbelievable yeah that's unbelievable and and i i'm watching just this high regains map i i have him from like from the 9th of may okay and one month later he has done 20 counterpressing recoveries you know that's that's amazing that's really an amazing skill to have out of possession, especially in this modern era of football, where every team is mostly every team is pressing high, and like the fact that he's so good on the ball, but he's arguably even better off the ball, is 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 just such a an underrated gift that Bitstrup has, and I can see why Thomas Frank brought. I, I believe Thomas Frank brought him to the club. And then, obviously, being Danish, I'd imagine he knew him quite well. He he brought him to the club. He feels maybe he's not quite ready for Premier League. Yes, we loaned him out to Nordstrom for the last 18 months at a club where he knows they are so, so good at developing players. Of course, owned by the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana. He knows they're yeah. so, so good at developing young players. So he will definitely get game time. He'll definitely develop in a very technical league, in a league where a lot of young players come through and break through. So it was a great loan move for him. So credit to Brentford and to Frank for for pulling that off. And I hope to see him in the Premier League in the future. Let's discuss though, Brian. Let's be let's be let's be mean for a minute. Not mean, but let's kind of put a downer on things for a second. <laughs> There's obviously weaknesses in every player's game. I mean Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo at their in their prime had weaknesses. It's just a you know Every player's weaknesses, of course. Younger players are going to have a lot of weaknesses, but when they're young, I prefer to say they're areas to improve. What yeah. do you think are the areas that Bidstrup can improve on, especially if he is to make the step up permanently now to the Premier League and to be a consistent player for Brentford? Yeah, one of the things that 
uh, I watch the, the thing is it this is obviously in a position that he plays sometimes he as a six at times his positioning and the aggressiveness he use he uses as an eight just like doesn't get that well when you're playing as a six you know you have to like calm down a bit and then just not step off your line very commonly but that is a weakness that you can find when he's playing in another position and it's a normal thing to have because players in in other positions just can find these weaknesses and areas to improve. But I really think, and I don't know about you, but I really think he needs to contribute a little bit more in the final third when he's on the ball. Well, can I chime in there for a second and just give you some stats? Because you, you are right. He's... Not really a player you're going to put in the team that's going to contribute in the final third, especially when you look at his stats. I mean, over the course of the entire season with Northland across the the cup and the league, he had 16 shots with an XG of 1.24, which is like for an eight. I, I know he played six sometimes, but he was pre- predominantly an eight an in a four-three-three, and it's not wonderful. Like he he didn't really have many attacking responsibilities. He's not amazing in the final third at all really he's not really effective in the final third and then when you look at his assists then as well he registered one assist which was a two-yard pass like it's not wonderful his xa his expected assist then is 0.97 again like when you look at his penetrating carries and his progressive pass he has a great ability to progress the ball into the final third either through his dribbling or his passing range but in the final third itself he's 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 effective out of possession because I counter pressing, of course, you see in his stats how many times he counter presses and wins the ball in, in the, the opposition's half. But in terms of actually being on the ball, he's pretty not non existent, but he's not very effective. No, and and I think um, he's very good, like finding players between the lines that so that these players can dynamize and be more, be more vertical, you know, to, to then. They can assist or pre-assist or something. He he's like the this player who supports your possessions, progressing from the back and evading like and overcoming the the first and second line of pressure. Maybe yeah. finding these players behind the midfielders or at the sides of rivals midfielders. But then when he gets close to the last third. He needs to be more direct and more aggressive, maybe to find a shot or find mm. a, a, a through pass. You know, he, I think he has the vision to do it, but I think he needs to be a little bit more brave to make these passes and take a shot. Because at Brentford, um, midfielders look to be very direct in that way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second then. I don't want to discuss his future with other clubs because I do believe he has a future at Brentford. But yeah. So let's discuss that. He can play as a right centre midfielder. He can play as a six. I don't believe he will play as a six with Brentford. I think he's more of an eight because of how energetic he is. I can see Thomas Frank yeah, using totally. him as, as a right-sided centre midfielder or maybe on the left, but he, we haven't really seen him that much on the left. But at the minute... His competition is usually either Frank Onyeka, who can play as a six well, but usually Frank Onyeka on the right, or also Mikkel Damsgaard, who I forgot to mention earlier, was also part of Norgeland's team for a couple of seasons. 
So he's another player roughly the same age too. So there is competition. They're not old players. Like Onyeka is no. 25. Mikkel Damsgaard is 22. Same age as yeah. But it's going to be tough for him. So what do you think is the next course of action for Bidstrup? Do you think they loan him out again? Because I feel like three loans in a row, you're up to 23. Now, I know player development isn't linear. You can kind of make it to the top level at any age. I mean, look at Jamie Vardy, for example, is the best example of that. But, like, yeah. where does he go from here? Because if he comes back to Brentford next season, he's clearly, I think, w- would have a good role in their squad, but he has good competition ahead of him. Frank Onyeke, if I'm not mistaken, is their most expensive player of all time. They signed him for, a what was it, was it 15, 18 million? Yeah, and he's like, if you watch the other options as well, they they are very key to the team. Jensen, yeah, like, and on the left, you have Yanelt, Vitaly Yanelt, and you have yeah, Amsgaard, of course. And, and so, yeah. Vitaly Yanelt as yeah. well. And I don't think he's going to fit like in the role of Christian Norgard or something like that, you know? What and, advice would you give him then? If you were if you were his, uh, uh, I don't want to say agent, because obviously agents have certain, the, they, they have the, the players' intentions at heart, but you know, but like, what would you say if you were just having a sit down chat with, with Mads Bishop? What what does what does Brian say to Mads a bit in terms of what you, you believe? The thing, the, the thing here is, you have this opportunity at the Premier League. You already are a player of the Premier League team, and they, I know they rate him high, you know, because they 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 rate very high the, the Danish league and what the players can can do there and. If you watch the midfield, it's just Jensen, Janelt, Damsgaard, and Oyeka maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the other options like the Silva and Norgard um, yep. have been losing their spot. And to have a player at, as Mats Bidstrup, you know, they, they are normally 24, 25, 26. It's not an old age, but Bidstrup is 22. He's obviously younger and mm-hmm. He has the quality and he has this type of thing Brentford's midfielders doesn't have that is the quality to pause the game, you know, because for me, Brentford midfielders are really good, but they are so vertical and so aggressive. Mm -hmm. And at times they need a player to slow down the tempo and Bitstrup really fits in, in, in that profile to be this player to slow down and to pause and 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 then to accelerate with his progressive passes and penetrating carries on the way he drives the ball. So I really think he has the quality and the in the profile Brentford could need to first of all add depth to the squad and I think he can win a spot in the starting lineup. You know, you, you you never know at the Premier League in this type of teams, in this type of context, which player can drop down his form and and all that because you, you know you don't expect the Bruyne or Gundogan to, to to like drop down his form. You expect this kind of players to have a mm-hmm. sometimes a poor season, sometimes a, a half good season. So in that way, I think Bitstrup could be a very good option to for Brentford to first of all he's going to adapt and maybe in the first five or ten matches. But I think this next season could be a really good one for him to just came back to the team and show he's capable of being in the in the midfield of, of Brentford. 
I agree, actually. I believe he'll be a rotation player next season and more so than recent years because I wouldn't really classify him as a rotation midfielder in recent years. I think he made 14 appearances for Brentford over what, two seasons, which isn't, I wouldn't label that as a rotation player. I'd label that quite sporadic. So I think next season we'll see him get a lot more minutes. And if he can even in all competitions reach 25, 30 appearances, that's amazing because you're in a lot of competitions. You'll be in the FA Cup, you'll be in the League Cup, you get starts here and there. Yeah, you'll exactly. offer rotation options. As you said, there's a lot of competition there. You have and- players such as like Christian Norgaard, you've even Shandon Baptista, you have uh, De Silva, and then you have Mikkel Damsgaard, Jan Elt, and, and, and Frank Onyeka too. So there are a lot of there is a lot of competition there, but I think even as a rotation player, if if Damsgar doesn't play well, say on the right, then you know Bitrup's come in. He can come in. Yeah, there but maybe a good job. maybe we'll have to see what the club's doing because they maybe could look to offload some players there and just to make a hole True. in the squad for for Bitrup and all that. And I think uh, this Brentford's context and their tactics is really, um, you know, it, it, it's really a high aggressive team and players obviously get tired and mm-hmm. you need this kind of, re- of replacements and to have this energy to be playing at, at one game and then and the other starting on the bench and trying to win the you, you, you as a manager want this type of player that every match they want to win a spot in the team and I think Bitro fits there because of his energy and his leadership he has shown even in the, on the field well, yeah, well, I want to make one final point as well, because I'd imagine now with Ivan Tony out, there might be a bit of a a tactical shift at Brentford. Maybe Thomas Frank will want to play a little bit more progressively in terms of having more of the ball, playing more of a, I don't want to say a possession-based style, because that's so cliched, but sort of similar to what David Moyes tried this year at the start when they tried to play a bit more on the floor, we'll call it, and progressing through the thirds rather than kind of playing over from the fourth to the third. Um, so I think maybe you'll see a bit more of a tactical shift, maybe. And I think I think Bidstrup kind of fits that bill a lot more than a lot of the players they have in those positions. I think if you want to play that kind of a style, he's a decent option to have anyway, you, you know, because he's he is hardworking, of course. They're still going to be hardworking, but he has a little bit extra in possession than, than some of them do. Yeah, I totally agree with that point. I really agree because obviously Tony just gives you a really direct option to, to keep playing at their style, but they are going to be like the majority of the season without him. So they have to yeah. to to look what they can shift onto into in the attack because he's it's not only replacing Tony with, with a player similar to him because I, I think several things are going to change at Brentford and they need to know what are the things they have to do? And maybe Bitstrup could be an interesting name for them to to think on on the tactical shift. I agree. Well, Brian, we'll wrap it up there because we've hit time now. I've really enjoyed the episode. And to all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed as well. Make sure to tune in on Friday. No, not Friday. It's actually going to be earlier than Friday, I believe, because we are doing an episode of the TFA podcast where we will be previewing the upcoming UEFA Champions League final. Using our analytical knowledge to predict the tactics that both Manchester City and Internazionale will deploy in Istanbul in the hopes of taking home the greatest honour in European club football. Also, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends and family as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.